You're listening to episode 44 of the STEM Space. Today, we have a special guest who is a seasoned STEM educator, and she is here to talk all things classroom management in their STEM classroom. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Claire. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really excited about talking to you today because we have another person coming on. Yes, this is kind of fun having another one that can give us all their experience. This is someone that we met pretty recently that's been working with us. And some of our listeners may have read some of her work because she's been a guest blogger on the Vivify STEM website. So let's welcome Julie Lyons. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you girls? Great. Well, let me tell our listeners a little bit about you. So Julie, you have been a teacher for over 15 years. You're currently a STEM and technology teacher for grades pre-K through fifth in a Maryland private school. And you've also taught third and fourth grade and college technology classes. And we are excited to have you today because we want to jump into classroom management, something that teachers everywhere struggle with. But I know in a STEM classroom, it's more difficult sometimes. So that's why we brought you on. How are you doing today? Doing great today. It's the day and after Halloween. That's what I was about to say. How are you, did you survive last night and all the Halloween madness? Yes. Well, our school actually gave us like the biggest blessing ever. Today's a professional development day. So all the kids that ate all the candy are home with their parents. So smart. <laughs> I wish my school did that. <laughs> so it actually worked out really well. But and, you um, actually did Halloween with your own kids at home, correct? Well, my husband and I went on a concert weekend to Dallas. <laughs> we were actually near you girls, but my children were home doing uh, Halloween with my parents, grandparents. And uh, my daughter went as her costume that she's been. She's 11 years old. And for 11 years, she has been a black cat. Every That's Halloween. amazing. So she keeps okay. it easy and simple. Well, now I'm concerned because my daughter, who is three, was a black cat last night. So is this going to be like her costume now forever? Because <laughs> she was I, really attached. <laughs> yeah. I think it just all depends on their personality. Like, do you like a good routine? I personally do. <laughs> you know, this must be my routine kid. My other child, my other children are like, whatever, I want to be this and this. And it's very elaborate. So those this is your, are like STEM This is costumes. your youngest kid, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So you've learned over the years that this routine, you've even transferred it not just in the classroom, but to the Halloween costumes. <laughs> oh, I just embrace it fully. <laughs> Lean into it. <laughs> Anything that keeps it simple. So now I'm going to have a great transition here to how are routines useful in your classroom? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I don't know how anyone teaches without a good routine. I mean, it, it sets you at ease as a teacher, but it also sets the expectation for the students coming into your classroom. It just creates a calm, productive environment because isn't that all what we want in our classrooms to be able to facilitate and learn and set the students at ease. And I think having a clear, consistent routine sets a good stage for that for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when we started working with you, you've been amazing at writing curriculum, helping us out and creating new products to help people in STEM education. And then also in my own classroom, being able to 
talk to you about struggles that I'm dealing with and learn from all your experience. So yes, all of your ideas. And I want to talk to you more about how you handle your classroom, what specifically routines you use to make that classroom management work for you in a STEM setting. So you've been teaching in a STEM classroom a lot longer than I have. And I'm in year two in the position that I'm in currently. And classroom management this year, I feel like has been so much harder than past years. And I don't even know what I'm doing wrong because I feel like I'm using the same tools that I did last year, but it's not working the same way. So what are your some of your go-to things that have helped you survive STEM? Well, gosh, like last year was and the year before, they were kind of like unfair shakes. So you know, everything was changing in the world. And when home lives are crazy and chaotic and parents are stressed, so are the students. And I kind of think that works the same way in the classroom. The students are going to pick up on whatever we're transferring to them. So if we're like super excited about a topic and really into it, and then they're going to feed off of that energy. But if we're stressed, then then they're going to pick up on that too. Mm. I don't know. What are your specific struggles that you're having? Those are great points. Mostly in getting them to calm down. You know, mm-hmm. STEM is a unique classroom experience. I do mostly hands-on projects. So there's more freedom than I think in a regular classroom setting. They're not sitting down doing a worksheet. I'll have them do a challenge where they have to go find the supplies that they need. And a lot of times they see that as like, oh, this is free time to just kind of act crazy and talk with my friends the whole time instead of being really productive. So mm-hmm. I'm having trouble balancing giving them freedom while also having it be coordinated chaos. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's a great word. Coordinated chaos. I love that. That's exactly, you've just stated everything. And I think when we think of STEM, we think of like free reign. The students can go everywhere in the classroom. I actually organize my classroom into designated areas. So I have a carpet area. And even all the way up until fifth grade, everyone comes in and we start on the carpet area. And that's where Mm -hmm. my smart board is. And I share what we're doing. And then I am a big fan of moving children about the room, but yet into specific spaces. Does that that make Mm -hmm. sense? So not all saying, okay, everyone go get your supplies and find your spot and let's go. Like everyone still has a home in the classroom. Like they can always go to that place whether they're working individually or working in a group, they always know where their space is. And I think that serves twofold. It helps me to know, okay, I know that group over there is going to need a little extra attention. So making sure I'm over, you know, helping them out a little bit more. And then also knowing who can and can't work close by one another. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the nature of being like, I want to work with my best friend all the time, but that would never work because we'd never get anything done. We would just talk (laughs) the whole time. So I guess structuring things like saying, okay, we're going to have five minutes for these two groups to go and get their supplies. And then you have to be back at your spot. And then the next five kind of staggering things. And I try to do that with projects as well, because, you know, having lots of grades, if you're all creating at the same time and you don't get to an end point, then you have a big materials, just stuff everywhere. And you have to figure out how to organize that until you see your kids at the next class. So I guess designating spaces and then modeling and walking the kids through, this is the way the routine is going to work. So yes, we're going to be in our STEM brain and we're going to have that creative time, but we're going to do it in this sequential process. Hmm. 
Yeah, so great. And, you know, it's all teamwork, right? You use your do your STEM challenges in teams of two or three kids. Uh, that's how yes. I usually do mine. Mm -hmm. Do you choose different teams for them every time? Do you have them pick their own partners? How do you do yeah. that? So I like to give choice to the students, but I like it to always be whatever the choices are, they're all going to benefit learning. Just like you said, like each year your personalities change and you know some groups you're going to allow, though you're going to be able to pick partners and still successfully work and some groups you won't. So I always keep a list of groups. So I'm ready to go. Like if we're starting an activity, a STEM challenge, and I'm like, oh wait, there is no way that these groups are going to work out. I'm like, okay, total change in plans, teacher prerogative. Here, we're going to go and we're going to do these groupings. Mm -hmm. That's that's a tough one. Like, honestly, I don't always think that students make the wisest choices with their partners and therefore the learning can be diminished. So depending on how intense the activity is, if it's more intense, then I'm definitely going to put them into teams together. And if it's, you know, more of like a you know, just a one-time lesson, then I might let them choose or would let them choose just to kind of give them freedom. I mean, we don't always get to pick who we want to work with. You know what I mean? It's just, sure. there's a, like, I, I think about what's our end goal? What's our real life end goal? Like, we're going to have to work with some challenging people. Sometimes we get to work with really great people and that's awesome. And when you find personalities that click. And then I've, I've found that as the year goes on, students start to make wiser and wiser choices with who they're actually picking for their partner when they get a chance to. Hmm. Yes. And that's the same speech that I usually give my students when I put them in mm -hmm. teams, say, this is how it's going to be in life. And I'm going to change it every mm -hmm. time. So you're just going to have to deal with whoever you get stuck with. <laughs> right. And it's, there are total different expectations in a STEM classroom. It's just, it's louder. Mm -hmm. It's messier. It's busier. It's more chaotic. Like, our administration just walks in and out of our classrooms all the time. And I don't, it doesn't bother me one bit anymore because I'm always like, yeah, hi, we're in like the middle of the lesson. That's <laughs> right. It's loud, but they're learning, right? And they can walk to any student and the student will be able to tell that this is what I'm doing and, and all of the, all of the things because they're hands-on and they're learning and they're moving, but it's, you're right. It's completely different than sitting at a desk in a traditional classroom. And the other challenge with STEM are the supplies. And you mentioned mm -hmm. that in the blog post, which we'll link in the show notes, STEM has a lot of stuff. And you talked a little bit about, you know, staggering how students get supplies. But one thing you wrote is engineers need to be clean. They need to have a clean workspace. It's safe. They can keep track of things. So can you talk a little bit about how you manage your supplies? Yeah. So I, I used to be really intense with labeling and everything has to have a label. And, you know, as time goes on and supplies are changing and we're running out of things or get moving to different products, you know, the labeling system was messing with my OCD-ness. So I gave that up and I just use clear bins for everything. And it actually works really well. So at the beginning of the year, I set up all of the supplies that we're going to use probably for like the first month or two. And then I teach the students where everything lives. So I'm like, oh, where's the straw home? Where's the glue stick home? Where are the scissors? Where do they live? And so we spend like the first two weeks of school doing activities, but you know, shorter STEM activities, but more or less learning like where things are because and engineers can't work without knowing where their supplies are or how they're supposed to use them. So we talk a lot about that. And then we actually practice using them because, you know, some of the things the younger students are like, well, how does this work and how do I do that? So then we, we talk about that. And then I'm also a big fan of sorting things into bins. So one student in the STEM 
team will be will be the supply gatherer. So they'll get, take a bin and they'll go over and grab all the supplies, put it into one bin. And then as the students are working, they might be working on the table, the desk, the floor, whatever, but they're keeping all their supplies in their bin. And then I've found over time, you know, learning from your mistakes, it's also helpful to give each child a sticky note and they can just put their names and their group whoever's in their group, stick it onto that bin. And then if we don't finish the project, put that inside as well. And then I kind of just stack those bins. And right now we just got a new reading curriculum. So I'm using like these really cool laminated car heavy cardboard bins and they're working phenomenal and they're light. And then we just kind of stagger them and stack them up with supplies. Oh, that's a great idea. I really like how you keep everything in a bin. So it's organized, but it's still all the craziness is inside the, inside the Oh, bin. and returning supplies. Everyone has mm -hmm. to make sure when we're all done, you have to put your supplies back where they live. Where do they belong? And I make sure that, and, this, and it's so hard because you get so excited and wrapped up in the lesson and you're just teaching and going and building and creating. And then you're like, oh my gosh, my next class is coming in two minutes. And you've got like all this stuff out. So I live by the timer on my watch and I set, always set a timer for 10 minutes before it and we start cleaning up. And I think that's another good life lesson for kids to learn. Like you don't always get to fully complete your project, but you still have to clean up your workspace. You can come back to your project. I mean, think about it as moms at home. If we just cooked a meal and left everything all sprung out all along, all over the place, then the next time you come into the kitchen, you're like, oh, who wants to work in a disaster <laughs> like that? You know, and it just really zaps your creativity. So I try to link it to, you know, how that helps you in the future, making sure you're prepared and ready. I'm trying to teach my three-year-old that lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I need you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. How long do you have in each class period? Okay, so for pre-K and kindergarten, we have 30 minutes, which we never finish anything in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I usually chunk them. So every activity is two class periods. So in the first 30 minutes is usually building the background knowledge, assessing, seeing where we are. A lot of times it's, wait, can we even do this task? Are we ready for this challenge? And then the next class period, you know, it's a, a brief in the beginning review. Okay, this remember we talked about this? Oh yeah, I remember that. This is what we're gonna do today. And for the 30 minute classes, I'll already have their supplies out. So I just completely take that out of the equation for time's sake. And then with the with older students, I have an hour. So twice a week, an hour long. So we get a lot done. And I really try to go through the whole STEM process from start to finish every one to two weeks. So because I'm STEM and technology as a position, I do focus more on the technology at times. So we do a lot of recording whatever project we've created and then going back and sharing with others and then talking about it. What were our successes? What were our failures? What could we do different? Hey, do you want to do that different? Wait, how did they record that? That was really cool. So having those two one hour chunks is a really great amount of time. But I will say sometimes it's exhausting. Like it's a lot of time. So I've also learned after we've done a big project and kind of the kids need a little bit of downtime. So I'll usually give them 15 or 20 minutes just of free exploration time of our supplies. And it's really cool to see like what they come up with or they'll remember something that they did like the year before or two years before and they'll want to redo that activity. So just kind of giving them some free exploration exploration time. I think that's important as a teacher as well for us to know we don't always have to be standing there telling, dumping all the information into the students' minds. You know, they can have some creative free flowing time too, structured. That's true. Yes. Do you have a, like a go-to supplies? Because with me, 
I don't know if this is the same, this is true for you, but I have to buy all the supplies that we use in our makerspace. So I kind of hold them dearly. Like, no, you can't use that because those are expensive. Like you cannot use the craft sticks. So usually if I have some extra time, I'll usually give them something that is reusable, like the plastic connecting straws or Legos are a big one that I'll just say, Hey, let's call this prototyping time. I want you to build something and explain what it is. Yes. If anything ever goes wrong in the classroom, like uh, uh, we're doing an activity and it's clearly not working and I just need to like backtrack and take a breather, Legos, they're like always my go-to. And I ask at the beginning of the year, my fifth graders help me sort them out. So we have them in, again, back into those same bins, organized, ready to go with enough building supplies to pretty much just like you said, build anything that, that we would suggest on the fly. And sometimes I'll just say, hey, go grab a Lego bin and let's make, you know, five minute challenges, just kind of, you know, trying to break it up because STEM can be intense at times for the students as well. But yes, Legos are my go-to. I know it is so hard when you're buying your supplies. I ask parents to donate anything that they can. Like I'll see them on the playground. I'm like, hey, I see that your child's going to middle school. Do they have any Legos that you're not using? Mm -hmm. You know, just kind of pulling your, your parents as well, asking if there's anything, but just knowing like they are consumables. And it's yes. okay. I know it's all about our expectation. It's so hard because when you organize everything, you're like, no, it looks all pretty. <laughs> what are you going to do to it? <laughs> all right. I have one more question for you, Julie. What has been one of your all-time favorite STEM challenges? Hmm. Okay. So I don't know why, but I have this fascination with bridges and building bridges. Mm. And I love that the activity can go all the way from pre-K to fifth because they have experience with bridges, but yet as simple as we think of bridges, it's really way more complex than that. So I love doing a challenge across all the grade levels and just seeing where we can take it to with each different, with each different level. And what do you challenge them to make a bridge out of? So one year I actually let them pick supplies and that was really cool, but I, if I, if I'm giving things, sometimes we'll do like craft sticks and Play-Doh and maybe some pipe cleaners or Legos, a lot of prototyping, just like you said, with Legos, like trying to get them thinking what kind of bridges could we, what styles of bridges could we build? I mean, whatever, whatever you have around, we've done straws before. Sometimes they don't work at all, which is, that's a great learning experience, you know? Oh, wow. I thought that was going to be stronger and that's not really strong at all. Talking about the different shapes that help make a bridge stronger. So do you break the bridges? Do you put weights on them? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have done weighted bridges challenges before. I just finished reading the 21 Elephant Brooklyn Bridge book to my kindergarten through second graders. And then we stacked pennies. But I was surprised at how many pennies the bridges, like I was learning to, they could actually (laughs) hold. So we didn't get to break any. Kids were like, you need heavier things. I'm like, go and find some heavier things. And that's a great kind of lesson to end on because we have a lot of listeners that are new to STEM. And I think it's really Mm -hmm. scary because myself included, like we can't be experts at everything we're teaching the students and you're not a bridge engineer, right? You're kind Mm -hmm. of learning with the students Mm -hmm. and it's okay to ask questions. And when the kids don't know, 
go do some research with the students and model that behavior. But thank you so much for joining us and all of your advice. And I'm sure we're going to have you back. And so if there's any listeners out there that have some more questions for Julie and her experiences, please send us a note, a message, and maybe we'll bring her back. But you guys have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for having me. Thank you.